This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. It's time for Speak Legal, conversations with Community Law Otago, made with the support of Law Faculty, University of Otago. Yeah, this time every Thursday morning we take the opportunity to find out a little bit more about how New Zealand law affects our daily lives with good people at Community Law Otago. And joining us on the line now, Tessa Timms. And Tessa is going to be talking about restraints of trade and employment agreements. Uh, Morena, good to have you with us, Tessa. Hi, nice to be here. Let's uh, start with a bit of definition, eh, shall we? Um, what is restraint of trade, Tessa? Um, well, Jeff, firstly, there are two main types of restraints of trade. There are non-competition and non-solicitation clauses. Um, a non-competition clause seeks to prevent an employee from working for a rival after their employment has ended or setting up a new business in competition with the former employer. Uh, a non-solicitation clause seeks to prevent an employee taking clients or other employees with them when they leave. These clauses are intended to protect a company's commercially sensitive information by restricting an employee's business activity after they leave a place of work. But a restraint of trade clause will only appear in an employment agreement if agreed to by both the employer and the employee. Okay, now this all hit the news not so long ago with uh, the case of a um, uh, someone working in the media who was changing jobs and there was some issues around um, whether they could make that, tr- tr- that transition straight away and uh, this kind of discussion came up. So if we're wondering about context, there's some for us there. So Tessa, are, are all restraints of trade clauses enforceable? Um, No, they're actually not. These clauses are first assumed to be unenforceable in law and this means that if there's a dispute involving a restraint of trade clause appearing in court, the judge will first presume the clause to be void and unenforceable. From here, it's up to the employer wanting to enforce the restraint to convince the judge that it is reasonable and they have a legitimate proprietary interest that warrants protection. This is because restraints of trades are potentially harmful because enforcing them can place significant limitations on individual liberties. These clauses, therefore, have the power to prevent a former employee from being able to work and earn an income. They can also be entered into in circumstances of significant power imbalance, and this can occur when an employee who is just about to start a job may feel uncomfortable arguing over what should happen when they leave. Now, this can be viewed as demonstrating a lack of commitment to their employer and in turn causing the employer to view them with suspicion. An issue that arises here is people commonly assume that non-compete clauses are unenforceable and therefore simply accept them without questioning them on the basis that they'll challenge them later if need be. And this can create access issues around access to justice um, because hypothetically speaking, what happens if an employee cannot afford the costs associated with taking the matter to the court and did not enter into negotiations when they signed their employment agreement? Okay, so not all clauses enforceable, but what makes a restraint of trade clause enforceable? So whether a restraint of trade will be enforceable is heavily contextual and depends on the facts of each case. Um, For a clause to be in an employment agreement to be enforceable, it first needs to be 
legal and reasonable. This means the employer must show the restraint is necessary to protect a specific proprietary interest, such as trade secrets or confidential information. So protection from competition is not enough. The courts recognise proprietary interests as things like secret processes and strong influence over former clients because these have a commercial value to them. Um, Whether a restraint of trade clause is reasonable will tend to depend on a wide range of factors. And it may be important to consider the time period of the restraint, the geographical or population limitations of the restraint, the employee's position at the workplace and the bargaining power they had when entering into the contract, the nature of the termination and whether they have been financially compensated to reflect the inclusion of the restraint of trade in their contract. Okay, so so what action can be taken if you think you are subject to an unreasonable restraint of trade clause? Employees actually have a legal right to challenge a restraint of trade clause which they consider to be unreasonable. Um, The Employment Relations Authority may be able to assist both parties to reach an agreement that they are both satisfied with. Uh, The authority also has the power to declare whether the the specific restraint of trade is unreasonable and let you know if you have to comply with it. The courts also have the power to modify contracts and to make the restraint of trade clauses reasonable. But on the other hand, it's also important that an employer takes steps to avoid potential confusion and later conflict. This can be done by making it clear to the employees early on whether or not skills, techniques or information they learn are confidential or not. Employers are also encouraged to have accessible and clear workplace policies on the issues of confidentiality in the workplace. Okay, Tessa, I'm, I'm referred earlier to this case that people might have heard about in the local media, uh, national media, about Tova O'Brien and her restraint of trade case. What's happening there? Yeah, so she has been in the media a bit. Um, and restraint of trade clauses and employment contracts have been hi- highlighted um, in her fight, in her legal fight, um, as she prepares to leave television. The worry is that they are unfair and often protect the rights of the employer rather than the employee. So in last year, Tova resigned from her position as political editor with Discovery to take up a new position uh, with MediaWorks Radio as a host for a yet-to-be-launched radio show. Tova's employment agreement with Discovery included a restraint of trade provision that prevented her from working in any business or activity that was actually in competition with Discovery for a period of three months. Now, she tried to argue that it was unenforceable, but negotiations were unsuccessful and it ended up in court. Mm. So what was the outcome? So the original three-month restraint of trade was reduced by five weeks to allow her annual leave to be taken and the adjournment of Parliament to coincide. Um, this meant that she could not actually start her employment with MediaWorks Radio until March the 14th. Um, and she was unable to work as a journalist in New Zealand during the restraint period. 
this is an example of a serious limit to an individual's freedom because during this time period, Tova was unable to work and therefore denied her right to receive income. Mm. So broader implications for a decision like that. What what does it mean more broadly? Um, well, the, to- the, the court sorry, took a broad view of what amounts to a competitive situation. So here, Discovery, who produces TV3 News, was said to be in competition with MediaWorks radio show. The likely consequence is that Tova and other high-profile journalists may be similarly restrained from going to work from any media organisation when their reputation and knowledge is of an advantage to a new employer. So this decision has also caused Labour MP Helen White to currently campaign for restraints of trade to be banned. And if not a blanket ban, then a ban of these clauses in employment agreements of low-income workers. She claims that they suppress wages and are anti-competitive. She also claims they place additional pressure on employees to stay with their existing company despite being unhappy in their workplace because they're too terrified to fight restriction provisions. It'll be interesting to see what happens in this space and whether legislative intervention will be passed in order to strengthen the rights. Employees. Yeah, well, indeed, we'll keep an eye and an ear on that. Um, probably not something that was in too many people's minds ahead of that case with Tover O'Brien, but very much um, uh, in the public eye now. Thanks, Tessa, for bringing this subject to us here on Speak Legal, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you again further down the track and other uh, volunteers from Community Law Otago as we continue our Speak Legal segment every Thursday. Thanks, Tessa. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Community Law Otago. Free legal advice and support for the people of Otago. Visit our weekday advice clinics at 169 Princess Street, Dunedin. Clinic session times are available from the website communitylawotago.com. Ring 474-1922 or 0800-169-333 if calling from outside Dunedin. Speak Legal is made with support from the Law Faculty, University of Otago, Training for Life. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.